the, the backlog of holidays. There's quite a lot of people who have been traveling. Uh, some people I know are, are traveling back today from sunnier climes, and uh, we hope that they will be certainly refreshed and uh, blessed as they were away. We, we, we're just going to, for the next few weeks, um, begin a new series called The Stand. And uh, it'll be interrupted slightly because um, during the month of March, of course, we have Mother's Day and we always like to um, honour the ladies amongst us, uh, not just mums, but ladies in particular. And uh, we're going to do something special, as we always do, on that particular day. And then also Easter runs very, very quickly, doesn't it? On, onwards from that. Uh, it's, it's obviously quite early this time. And so there will also be uh, Easter that will run. And uh, of course, on those particular Sundays, we will be uh, adjusting the theme accordingly. But over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be looking at this series called The Stand. We're going to be looking at Stand Firm. We're going to be looking at Stand Still. We're going to look at what it means to stand together and also stand out. And uh, it won't just be Phil and I who will be sharing the ministry, but we're also going to be involving a couple of other people who we're going to be sharing on particular Sunday mornings and speaking into this into this uh, theme. I will say as well that tonight at Mansfield we'll be launching a new series called Defeating the Colours. A couple of years ago we ran this series here. It's not because we haven't got anything else to say but we're just trying to continue to lay a foundation in that new work over in Mansfield and tonight it will be my joy and privilege to be able to look at defeating the Reds. I'm not talking about if you're a Man City fan which means defeating Man United or if you are an Everton fan um, defeating Liverpool, uh, that will never happen anyway, um, but um, we, we, we will be talking about defeating the Reds, which uh, sp- specifically looks at uh, the issue of anger. Let me say, if some of you have got an anger issue, you probably need to come tonight. I'll just throw it out there. If some of you have got an anger issue and you just need some help in terms of understanding that, and it will be um, spoken by a practitioner of anger, me, because I'm in recovery. Because my issue is anger. So I'll be very, very vulnerable and it'll be very real. And just help you, some of the, to help you to understand some of the things that I've endeavoured and still endeavour to apply to my life. Which will set me free from this issue of anger. Is that okay? For those who normally come tonight, don't think, oh, I'm not coming there. No, I don't know what it's going to be like. It'll be good. Okay. I wonder if you've got a Bible, if you turn with me to Ephesians in chapter 6. And uh, we're going to begin... Um, and this is going to be the, the, the basis for this series called The Stand. And um, the, I'm taking the outline actually of Phil this morning. Uh, very honest and open, no problem with that at all. This is something that he ministered uh, into um, uh, Mansfield. And there was a few other guys who helped him with that whilst we were away uh, at the end of last year uh, for a few weeks holiday. And uh, the passage is found in Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 10, if you've got the Bible. And uh, if you haven't, you can read it on the screen. Let's read it through together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything 
to stand, stand firm then. So we're looking at the thought of standing. I came across this quote which I think is very, very helpful for us to understand. You see, some people say the will to win is everything. No, the will to win is worthless if you do not have the will to prepare. The will to win is worthless, it's useless, unless you have the will to prepare. And why we want to look at, over the next few weeks, look at this uh, series called The Stand, because there are many things that would come against us, as we've read here today. There are principalities and powers, there are things at work in our world that would cause us to be knocked off and would cause us to not live in victory and we want to help you to stand and how we do that is by preparing you to stand. We want to prepare you to win over the challenges of life by issuing this call to stand. Verse 13, after you have done everything to stand. It's interesting that we've been highlighting a number of missions contexts. Every one of these people I know for certain because I've visited some of them in their, uh, in their context, but also uh, we've seen them come through the life of the church and many of them I know personally very well. Every one of them have made a decision to stand. Now you're not called necessarily to minister full-time in Albania and some of you are not called to minister full-time in Africa but you are called to stand here in Ilkeston. You are called to stand here in Mansfield. You are called to stand here in Hena or in Jacksdale or in Eastwood or in Kimberley. Wherever your, your crib is, you're called to stand. You're called to stand. And we want to prepare you in that. This word stand is mentioned four times in this passage. So when a word is mentioned once, of course, it needs to be heard. But when it's mentioned two, three, four times in the space of a few small verses, I think God is trying to tell us something. Anybody with me this morning? There's something that we need to understand. And the context in which Paul is speaking to this church at Ephesus is in the context of warfare that confronts the Christian believer. Some people say, well, when we go into the fight, no, 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 wrong language. You are in a fight. As soon as you made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, you became a soldier, a soldier in the army of the Lord. Uh, there's an old Sunday school song that I can think of at this, at this particular time. But the reality is, you don't enter into it and come out of it when you want to. You are in a war. There is something that will war against you. You all know it, don't you, those Christian believers? There's a war that goes on in your mind. There's a war that goes on in your eyes. And there's a war that goes on in your heart. Anybody hearing me this morning? I have the same wars as you do. And that is why Paul was speaking to this church and he was saying that you must put on the full armor of God and you need to stand firm. You need to stand tall. You need to stand up. You need to stand so we must understand that we are not just entering a battle, we are in a battle. Now we don't want to be obsessed and imbalanced regarding spiritual warfare because there are some churches and some Christians who have gone out of kilter that every time somebody sneezes, it's a demon. It isn't. 
I've literally, your life, I've actually been in a context, a work context, where actually I remember sneezing. I shared an office. There was one office here, and then there was a corridor, and then there was another office, and I would sneeze. And then the man at the side would say, come out in Jesus' name. I thought, what's he on about? And he was talking about me. Absolutely ridiculous. Just a complete imbalance. He, he had the theory that there were demons creeping around every corner, ready, ready to trip him up. My theory about him is, actually, he was tripping himself up. Why does the devil need to bother with him? Now, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes, but let's not get out of kilter. Now, thanks be to God that this church, there really is a balance with regard to spiritual things. We recognize there are powers at work that are dark and are horrible, and we see them around us, and we see them on the news that cause people to do horrendous things. There are some people in your worlds that do horrendous things. And it could be that there are, there are dark powers at work. But not everything is a dark power. I have a theory, actually. Most of the trouble that comes to me is as a result of who? Me. It's not actually a result of anybody else. I can blame other people. I can blame you all I want. It's got nothing to do with you. And it's got nothing to do with, 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 with Satan. It has everything to do with me has everything to do with me. And so we need to take our stand. We don't want to be ignorant of this spiritual warfare. We want to be aware of it, but we want to hold it with balance. Now this word for stand in the Greek is histomy, which means to abide, continue, establish, and set. So it's not that we're standing around and just thinking that we've got nothing else to do. You've seen them, haven't you, on street corners? I'm not talking about that street corner, but street corners, just nothing to do, just causing trouble. No, we're not talking about that kind of stand. We're talking about standing, abiding. We're talking about being committed to, not at a loose end, but it is a call to alertness and readiness. It really is. Now, there are three particular things that I want to prepare you with on this journey of standing. There are three particular thoughts that I want to look at. Because remembering, the will to win is worthless unless we have the will to prepare. So there are three expressions of stand that I want to just look at today. The firstly, first thing is this, that we are called to stand in the gap. Everybody say, stand in the gap. You sound like a tram operator. Mind the gap. We're not talking about minding the gap. We're talking about standing in the gap. You may say, well, Christian, is there really a gap? Yes, there is. There is a gap between the, between the world's issues and God. There is a gap that there is a bridge. And actually, God's call to every one of us, and I'm going to take an Old Testament verse, but actually, it has application to the New Testament, because we are called to intercede on behalf of others. We are firstly called to stand in the gap. I wonder if you turn to Ezekiel in chapter 22 and verse 30. Ezekiel in chapter 22 and verse 30. It reads there, I looked for someone among them, who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. 
but I found no one. So is God speaking to the, the children of Israel and to the prophet Ezekiel. And he said, I want to build up. I want to do something God, but I need somebody to stand in the gap. Otherwise, I'm going to destroy it. And God searched that whole area and said, but I can find no one. What a telling statement. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you that somebody, I believe somebody at some time has been praying for you. That is called standing in the gap. If you've been in crisis, you are a believer and you've had real crisis, but things are beginning to turn. I want to tell you it's because people are standing in the gap. Do you believe that? I actually believe that as a young boy growing up, there were people, not just family members, but people in the life of the church that I belong to, I actually do believe this, who actually were praying for me without me even knowing. And they were standing in the gap on behalf of me. There's been crises that have come to our lives over the last few years. And I believe that some of you people here, you've not uttered a word to me, but you have stood in the gap on behalf of me and my wife and this church. We are called to stand in the gap. God looks for gap standers. But here in Ezekiel, he couldn't find any. Gap standers are people who stand on behalf of others. Example, they have, a, 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 they have an understanding that they're called to intercede. What does intercede mean? Again, it means just standing in between God and the situation. They're calling on God. Let's not get too hung up on the phrase intercession. But they're called to just stand on behalf of others. If I can be as, uh, as, as uh, blunt as this, we need people in the life of the church who have this ministry, who have this call. We, actually, we don't, not just a ministry call, we all need to have it. Where we stand in the gap on behalf of others. Certainly on behalf of the leadership, we need people who are going to not criticize the leadership, but pray for the leadership. We're going to need people who are not always second-guessing the leadership, but are going to stand in intercession for wisdom on behalf of the leadership. Is anybody hearing me this morning? This is what we're talking about. These gap standers are very instrumental in in producing growth. I actually believe that unless we pray about things, I'm a big believer, we can market all we want. And we can be very savvy in marketing. And we can be very, very good and creative in how we go about things. But I'm talking about the church being built. I'm not talking about just producing a crowd. And I actually believe that nothing good can happen unless we pray. I really believe more and more that it's my conviction that you can do all you want to do and you can be as clever and as bright and as good as you want to be. But unless we are committed to praying and praying things through, we will not get to where God wants us to get to. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who get up in the morning and pray. We need to be people who stop, drop, and pray throughout the day. We need to be people who are committed to praying through the issues that people are facing and that we are facing. Don't be tempted to do it alone. Don't be tempted to try and work it through because of your cleverness or because of your strength or because of your courage. We need to be people who are completely reliant upon the Lord. 
I actually believe the gap standards are very, very instrumental in this goal of growth that we're believing for. This breakthrough that we talked about last, last week of where Ilkeston goes from 200 to 500 and beyond and where Mansfield goes from that, you know, 50, 60, 70 people into 200, 300 and beyond. And it won't just be through a lot of good ideas, but it will be through people standing in the gap. I felt very challenged as you know, as you heard me pray this morning with regards to prodigals because some people have been tempted to give up because they haven't come back to know the Lord. A son and a daughter, a husband and a wife and nothing seems to be happening. I want to encourage you before the Lord this morning to just for you to keep standing in the gap. To keep praying and to keep believing. I actually believe... There's a wonderful verse in Psalm 115, verse 12, and it says this, The Lord is mindful of us. He's on the lookout, but he's looking for people who will stand in the gap. People who will stand in the gap. The second thing that we need to stand in is that we need to stand out in the crowd. Now, I know some of you here, you hate the thought of standing out in the crowd because you just by nature, you're, you're, you're quite quiet and shy and reserved. And I understand that. I'm not talking about being flamboyant. I'm not talking about, you know, racing across the stage and wanting to grab the mic. I'm not talking about being the life and soul of the party. I'm not talking about being anything other than yourself. So I'm not talking to a personality type. I'm talking to a principle of heart. There were people who stand out in the crowd. I wonder if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians in chapter 2 first for me, please. It reads there in Philippians in chapter 2, verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. They're good words for us to understand. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars... In the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Talks there about shining like stars, shining among them like stars, standing out in the crowd. Arena Church is called to stand out in the crowd. We're called to be different. I guess one of my frustrations has been, as I look at my life, let me not look at anybody else, as I look at my life, particularly my teenage years, what wasted years, because I knew Jesus, I'd had a relationship with Jesus, I'd I'd had an understanding of Jesus, and yet I didn't stand out because I just blended in with everybody else. I just blended in with everybody else. Peer pressure was too much for me. And it was so, so sad, really, when I look back, because the opportunities that I had, I want to tell you, I'm determined not to miss any opportunities in the days ahead. And I haven't done for many years, because I'm committed to being different. Not strange, just being different. You may look at me as though I'm strange. I want to tell you, I'm not strange, but I'm committed to being different. I want to live in a different way. I want to live according to the Bible. Do I always get it right? Not at all. But where is my guide? This is my guide, not the Daily Mail, not the Daily Telegraph. Not what my friends say. Not even what good pastors may say. That's not my guide. This is my guide, the Bible. And you see, there are three examples of this that I want to show you with regard to standing out in the crowd. First of all, Joseph. He stood out morally. 
If you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 39, if you need to, or just make a note of it. But Joseph stood out morally because he was a young man and it actually talks about him. He was well built. That means girls, because I keep hearing this phrase, because I've got a house full of girls. I'm not talking about my wife now. I'm talking about, you know, but they use this phrase, oh, he's really fit. I thought it meant like he was fit, like you, but it doesn't mean it means something completely different. And if the Bible was being written now, it says in Genesis 39 that Joseph was well built. He was fit. That's what it's basically saying, okay? And the master of the house, Potiphar, his wife, had noticed Joseph. You must understand this, and I know we've heard it before. But Joseph had a real, real, there was a real test here. Because he could have slept with Potiphar's wife. And who would have known? Who would have known? But Joseph was committed to standing out in the crowd morally. Was he a prude? Not at all. But was he committed to doing it God's way? Absolutely. I challenge each and every one of us. It's no good just saying to young people, because the reality is there are many of us in our 30s, 40s, 50s, and there are temptation that comes to all of us. And the the temptation could be, well, who's going to know? Who's going to know? Who's going to find out? If you don't tell, I won't tell. And they won't tell, so why should I tell? Are you hearing me? But Joseph was committed to standing out morally. It got him into a whole shed load of trouble, by the way. But it all turned right in the end. Secondly, we need to call the call to stand out in the crowd behaviorally. I want to take you again to three young men. They had strange names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a bungalow, as we used to say in, 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 as kids growing up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was an edict that was issued by King Nebuchadnezzar that was basically, you know, world, you know, when you hear the, the noise, I want you to bow down at my, at my statue and you will worship me. These three men behaviorally said, no, we're going to stand out because it's not right to bow before God. They knew the Ten Commandments. You should have no other God but me. And they knew that. But they also knew that King Nebuchadnezzar was a man of his word. And he says, those who people who don't bow down, I will execute and I will kill. I just put it out there again. And I put it first of all to me and to us. I wonder how we would respond with Joseph. I wonder how we would respond with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego with this edict. So Cameron now becomes a dictator. I'm talking about David Cameron. And he basically says, there's going to be a statue of me. Well, that would be hilarious for a start, wouldn't it? But that's me not being political. But that would be utterly hilarious. And they basically say, Mr. Cameron then says, and everybody has to bow down at a particular time before me. And if you don't, I'm going to send the British Armed Forces and I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you. Let's go to some other countries now, because that seems a bit bizarre. There are some nations in the world that their governments do issue edicts that if you go to church or you're caught in possession of a Bible or you utter the name of Jesus Christ being Lord of your life and we've been praying through a guy, a pastor in in Iran, anybody been doing that? That's exactly what he did. He was on trial to be executed. Daniel, 
sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 made a decision that their behavior was going to stand out for God. I'll go back to me and my teenage years. I was bothered about a bit of ribbon. Your name's Christian, so you're a Christian, are you? Are you one of those stiffy Christians? You don't go to church, do you? And I couldn't even stand out properly for the Lord. And all it was was a bit of ribbon. Yeah, this reality is some people here, you may go to your factory, your place of work tomorrow, and even you don't say anything because you're concerned that you're going to be ribbed. Let's behaviorally stand out in the crowd. And thirdly, generously, there was a nameless woman in Matthew chapter 26. And there was a number of disciples who were very, very upset by this act of sacrifice and worship and generosity to Jesus. Because in Matthew 26, she took an uh, an expensive jar of alabaster perfume and she broke it and she poured it over Jesus. And there were many people who said, why have you done that? That was an expensive jar of perfume. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. That wasn't what they were bothered about, actually. They had no interest in the poor. They had no interest in the poor. They really didn't. They just had an issue that they considered it, read the, read the scripture, for it to be a waste. And Jesus says, you leave this woman alone. What she's done is beautiful in my side. You see, this woman was committed to standing out generously. I have to say it. We're called to stand out generously. We're called to stand out behaviorally. And we're called to stand out morally. One of the things that I, uh, I'm believing for in these coming days, that actually on a generosity uh, factor, that actually that people will come to the church and we will be able to literally release tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds into the community because of the generosity that's in our lives. Do you think that will stand out to the community? We have some community people here. Do you think that would stand out to the community? Because everybody thinks the church is always after a handout. Well, wouldn't it be awesome that we together, we actually start to give the hands out? How is that going to happen? It's not going to happen through just one wealthy person. It's going to happen through us, standing out generously. Three examples. Stand in the gap. Stand out in the crowd. And thirdly, stand up for the Lord. You see, we are called to stand in, stand out, and stand up for the Lord. Let's turn, shall we, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. That very familiar story for many of us, And we know it very well because it's the the day of Pentecost where God poured out his spirit. That day had come as they committed themselves to praying in the upper room. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and God began to do a deep work in these men and women. And we notice that in verse 14, there was a character by the name of Peter. Peter is significant because actually, although he had all the bluster of courage, he actually was quite a weak and feeble man. Because if we read back into the Gospels, we see he was the one who disowned Jesus. Do you know that Jesus? No, I don't know him. Do you know that Jesus? No, I don't know. Do you know that Jesus? No, I don't know him. And then the cock crowed. But we see now that the Holy Spirit was at work in Peter. And they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 14, the Bible says this. 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. It's one of the clearest gospel presentations you will ever come across in the Bible. I had the joy just before going to Mansfield last week to watch a classic of Billy Graham. What a wonderful man of God, Billy Graham. Did anybody have the joy of ever seeing or hearing hear him live? Just give me a wave. What a wonderful man of God. <laughs> and I saw this, it must have been in the late 80s, early 90s, Billy Graham, this, I don't know where he was. I'm telling you, you could have played that while well, they were playing it. You could have played it this morning and people would have got saved. It was relevant. It was contemporary. It was on it. It was absolutely fantastic. And Billy Graham stood up. Peter stood up. He stood up. You see, again, he stood up for the Lord, and yet he'd also seen Jesus had been crucified weeks earlier. Who knew? They didn't know what was going to happen. So we read it, and we already know the story, so it's not an issue to us. But why if he'd have stood up, and actually the people didn't like what he was saying, and they put him on a cross? That's actually what happened to many of the disciples, actually. You see, stand up for the Lord. Weeks earlier, Peter had toppled over, and now he was taking a stand. And the end result was, there were 3,000 conversions, and the city was changed. How did that happen? By a person, a group of people committed to standing up for the Lord. Now, There are some people in this standing up for the Lord who will oppose you and will oppose the gospel. We all have them, don't we? Agitators. I actually don't around the arena, but you'd expect me not to have them around the opposite arena. But I know some of you, you go into your workplaces and they're agitators. They're at you when you mention church. You just mention one word and they're at you. They're saying something. There's something snide. There's something, you know, all kinds of things that are being said. I love this quote that I came across. The best way to respond to critics is to determine that you will outlast them. Anybody hearing me this morning? You will outlast them. I will stand. There are some people I know in this community who don't like what we stand for. They don't like what this church stands for. They think there's some ulterior motive why we're doing all that we're doing in the community. They don't get what we're about. And they have much to say. The way that we're going to defeat that will outlast them. Hello? Hello? We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to be belligerent. We're not going to be nasty. We don't need to respond like that. But we're going to be confident. We're going to be full of confidence and full of charity. Anybody hearing me this morning? That is how you win over your person of work. You determine that you're all going to outlast them. You're going to stand up for the Lord with confidence and with charity. And let God do the rest. The battle conditions that we're talking about here today in this world in which we live in are not easy. You may say, well, what do you mean by that, Christian? Well, there are issues in this world. There are laws that are being passed that have the potential of undoing this nation. That's all I want to say on that. And there are laws that are go into Parliament that we probably even have no knowledge about at this moment. 
that have the potential to undo this nation. And to unravel, if we think this, the fabric of society at this moment is undone, we ain't seen nothing yet. If they keep passing these laws. We have a great opportunity also. Because where there is darkness, what destroys darkness? Does it need to be a big light? It just needs to be light. A little light will extinguish darkness. I want to encourage each and every one of us to stand in the gap. To stand out in the crowd. And to stand up for the Lord. And be the light that shines in the darkness. I don't have the opportunity if I can say this, I've just caught Robert at the back. I know Robert's involved in an engineering plant. I don't have the, will probably ever have the opportunity, Robert, Robert, he may say, thank God for that, to ever come and work at your place of work. But you do. Simon, I probably will never meet the people that you meet as you're sent out on your plumbing rounds. I'll probably never, ever get to meet the people that you work with. I'll probably never, ever get to meet the boss who oversees it, but I'm encouraging to stand out in that dark place and stand out for Jesus. Are you hearing me today? I go places that you won't go to. And I'm committed, after doing everything, to stand to what? To stand. That's what it says. After you've done everything, stand. And then it goes on to say, stand firm. And it's almost like Paul is saying, look, I know you're standing, but I'm going to give it to you again. Stand firm then. I believe as we do that, we will make, it may not be a quick, may not be a quick turnaround. In some cases it will. But we will begin to make a significant difference for Jesus. Amen. I wonder if we'd bow our heads I wonder if we'd open our hearts.